Coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 130. If there's one thing we've learned from these NFL playoffs, it's don't overreact to the previous week of the postseason. So here's what I'm going to do on this episode. I'm going to overreact to everything. I officially crowned Joe Burrow the GOAT, but now he has to go up against Patrick Mahomes, a limited Patrick Mahomes for the fourth time in his career. Should they blow it up in Buffalo? Where do the Giants go from here? Is Dak Prescott a real problem in Dallas? Are the Philadelphia Eagles the best team in the league? And can Brock Purdy become the first rookie to win an NFC championship game? All that and a whole lot more coming up next on the Rami Lavi podcast. Stay tuned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 130. And I'm fired up tonight because anytime the Knicks can win a game, I'm excited. I love the Knicks so much. Julius Randle goes for 36. He hits eight threes, all that good stuff. And I love to see this, that when the Knicks blew a 13-point lead and they're down five in the fourth quarter, or I think at that point it was still the third, but they look discombobulated. Randall was upset that Barrett took a shot instead of passing him the ball when he was open and Barrett had two guys on him. And then Randall didn't box out on an, uh, on a rebound and uh, the Cavs got an offensive rebound and put back. And then at that point, Tibbs calls timeout. Randall is visibly angry going to the bench. Obviously, we go to commercial break, so I don't know what happened during that commercial break, but from that moment on, Julius Randle was a different guy. I know he started the game really hot, but right after that was when he had the putback where he he's getting the fans up. He's motioning to the fans to get up and make more noise. He all of a sudden, and this is something I've seen him do more than once this year, where when he gets mad, he takes it out in his play on the court, but not in an out-of-control way. He all of a sudden turns into an, like he, he gets down low and he starts bodying guys up and starts playing harder. And it's something that is so special about Julius this year. I love what he's been able to do. I I can't talk about it enough, and I know the Knicks really, really desperately needed that win after losing four in a row. But anytime you could be at the Garden and Donovan Mitchell starts going off in the fourth quarter and they tie it up and then Randall hits another three, you get a Mike Breen bang. And then down two with the last possession, here comes Donovan Mitchell and Isaiah Hartenstein. Credit to him because that's a guy who I've been hating on all year long. He had an excellent game and included in that excellent game was a block at the end of the game. Uh, Back-to-back possessions of great defense by the Knicks down the stretch secures the victory. So your boy is happy. By the way, I had so many bets in that game, and I missed a couple of bets by a couple of points. I needed one more point from Mitchell. I needed one more point from Jalen Brunson, and I also had a bet that uh, Mitchell would score 35 and that the Cavs would win, and also when the Knicks were up 13, I did live bet the Cavs at plus 200 to win, and I don't care. I will trade losing all those bets for that Knicks win because it was 
a win that showed grit. It was another one of those games where you're up 13 and then all of a sudden you're down five. and It was going to be another one of those terrible Knicks collapses that we talked about a couple episodes ago. And all of a sudden they're right back and they win the game. I don't care that they blew the lead. I don't, I, I mean, yes, ideally they won't blow the lead, but they found a way at the end to come through and be the team on top and be the ones that came home with the victory. So uh, good job, Knicks. I'm excited about that. Like I said, I love when the Knicks can win. Um, and it's Knicks and Rangers season now because we only have a few playoff games left. And speaking of my gambling, uh, my bets went incredibly well this weekend. Divisional round weekend in the NFL. I think last episode I may have said wild card round because uh, I couldn't get it out of my head. Super wild card round. That's all they talked about. But um, yeah, uh, divisional round of the postseason. I was actually in New York on Sunday uh, celebrating my grandmother's birthday Monday as well. Uh, Monday was her actual birthday. Sunday we celebrated. So I was watching the games mostly on my phone on Sunday. But Saturday night, I watched the games on the TV with a bunch of friends, a bunch of giant fan friends. We'll get to all that. But like I said, my bets. If you listened to Friday's episode and you rode with me, I appreciate you. And you made some money because, like I said, I went 3-1 and one on the weekend. The Chiefs, they, they won, but they kept it close. Obviously, the Giants got blown out. That was the one that I lost. And I told you San Francisco would win and cover. And the one thing, though, that I guaranteed, and this is where I'm going to start when we talk about the NFL playoffs, I guaranteed that Cincinnati was would win. I said, I am not scared of the points. I'm not scared of the five and a half. Of course, you take the plus five and a half for Cincinnati. But I took Cincinnati on the money line. I parlayed Cincinnati. There was a boost on FanDuel to parlay Cincinnati and San Francisco both to win. I took that also. I had Cincinnati in every single bet this weekend because it just didn't make sense to me. And they found a way to blow out the Bills. And that's where I want to start. I want to start with the Bills. What happened in Buffalo? What happened in that game? Watching that game, is this a team that we saw all year? I I don't know. It's hard to say what happened to the Buffalo Bills in that game on Sunday. Um, And it was from the word go, from the get-go. It was never really close. I guess the closest it got, what was it, 17-7? Was that the closest it got at any point in that game? Um, Look, this is what we talked about. We talked about the week before. We talked about how the Dolphins had wide-open receivers everywhere. And either Thompson couldn't get the ball to them because he's Skylar Thompson. Or the guy dropped it because there were so many drops by Miami, specifically Waddle and Hill in that game. And then when you watch this game, right from jump, the Bengals weren't messing around. There were wide open receivers all over the place. And Tony Romo said that Joe Burrow looked like Peyton Manning, where before the play, he's like, oh, this is the matchup I like. This is exactly where I'm going to go. And then he knew where to throw the ball and found the open space every single time. And it was just constant. And Tony Romo also pointed out that it was tough to play zone defense, which they were playing a lot because your footing wasn't good. But this Bills team is built to play at home in cold weather type of games in Buffalo. They should be used to that. And they got stomped all over by Cincinnati, the road team. They came in and it was nonstop. They, they were unstoppable, the Cincinnati Bengals offense. And they couldn't get anything going on the other side. So once you go down 7 nothing, you're the Bills. Josh Allen comes back, and on, I think it was third down, he overthrows Diggs. He had Diggs wide open, but they go for the deep ball to Diggs. He overthrows him, and then from that point on, Allen comes right down, or I should say Burrow comes right down the other way and scores. It was home run or bust, and this is what I've been talking about now. Not for, like, a little bit. I've been talking about this for probably two months watching the Buffalo Bills. And I've told you this for over two months that it's been home run or bust offense for the Buffalo Bills. And they, if they don't get those home run plays, they're not good. And Josh Allen in this game, it was different because he didn't even turn the ball over that often. He didn't turn the ball over till late in the game that that one late turnover. And that was it. So this was a team that even without turning the ball over, which was the issue that I talked about going into the game, still couldn't find ways to score because all they could do was get the deep balls and they weren't there for them. They tried it a couple times, and they couldn't do it, and this has been a problem with the Bills' offense. People talk about Brian Dayball leaving. Is this a bigger story than we're making of it? Like, Brian Dayball not being there might be a big issue for them. Josh Allen has looked like a different quarterback this year, and maybe the elbow injury he suffered against the Jets the first time they played is more of an issue than we thought, but I think a lot of people were shocked by the way this Bills game in particular went, and maybe the Bills game last week against Miami went also but to me it's how the last three months of the Bills season went 
And you can point to Von Miller being out for their defense. You could point to DeMar Hamlin and other guys in the secondary being out for their defense. But on offense, that's what concerns me. I know they put up all those points at the end of the day against Miami. Yes, 34 points in a playoff game at home against Miami. But I think this offense was broken for really the last half of the season. And I'm not sure why. And I'm not sure what you do to fix it. They go out and they trade for... Naeem Hines, and it's nice that he ran back two touchdowns against the Patriots in the last game of the season, but they barely ran the ball with him. They could never establish the run, whether it was Singletary, Hines, whoever it was, they don't have a run game. And for a team that's going to be playing in tough weather, for a team that has a big body quarterback who's tough physical and runs physically the way Josh Allen runs, you would like to see this team be more of a ground and pound and run the ball right down your throat offense. This team needs to work on their offensive line. They need to work on their defensive line. They need to become a running team. There is a lot that this team needs to do. And this was, again, this is the favorite to win the Super Bowl coming into the season. And like I said, I didn't like what I saw for them for the last three months, but you can't deny what you saw for them last postseason. They went toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes. And I genuinely think that if they had the ball last in that game, against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, they would have won that game. But they left too much time on the clock for Patrick Mahomes, which, you know, 13 seconds obviously should not be too much time for anyone, but for Patrick Mahomes it is. And so now where do you go? Because it looks like this team has taken a major step backwards, but the other teams are going to keep coming. I mean, we're going to talk about Cincinnati. We're going to talk about Kansas City. But now you see the younger teams are coming, right? What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson year two in Cleveland? What's going to happen with this Jacksonville team, with the Chargers if they ever figure it out? Has this team peaked already? Where do you go from here if you're the Buffalo Bills? We've talked about it with Stephon Diggs in big games. We've seen this time and time again where he just disappears. He disappeared in this game. Four catches for 35 yards and then yelling at Josh Allen on the sideline. There is a lot of bad in this game, and I don't want to overreact to this game and say that it's on Josh Allen, but Josh Allen was awful in this game also. This is not the guy that you expect him to be if you're the Buffalo Bills, but how could you blame him also? With everything that happens on a football field, he's the best player on this team, and when you've become so predictable on offense, and I don't know if that's the offensive coordinator with no Dable, I don't know if it's because they can't run the ball. I don't know if it's the offensive line. When you become this predictable on offense that they know that all you can do is the deep ball, then you can't win like that. And so I think they need to take a good hard look in the mirror and figure out something new going into next season. I'm not saying wholesale major changes. You have the quarterback. You have the head coach. But you need to figure out how you can get pressure on quarterbacks because they couldn't get any pressure at all on Joe Burrow and his backup offensive lineman. And you need to figure out how you can turn this offense into a well-rounded offense that's not so easy to prep for. Speaking of Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, I mean Joe Burrow. (laughs) This has been the most gratifying take of my life. When I said that Joe Burrow is a winner, and I read that text that I wrote to my father a few months ago, but I wrote the text over a year ago at this point to my father saying, that Joe Burrow, you know, will be the winner and Mahomes and Allen, they're going to put up a ton of points against each other. And then next week, Joe Burrow is going to find a way to win against Kansas City. And then that happened exactly. And that text paid off immediately. At that point, it felt good. But then when it continued to just get better and better, because every single time Joe Burrow plays in one of these big career-defining, season-defining, must-win games. He wins every single one of them. And you see him before the game, that video that was going viral of him just tossing the ball in the snow and doing a little spinorama, 50-yard dime downfield. Not a bother or a care in the world. It's like somebody went into a lab and combined Peyton Manning and Tom Brady together and just made him the coolest quarterback ever while he was at it. Like, this is just... And I, I, again, I know it's classic, it's typical for everyone to be gushing over Joe Burrow this week, but I mean, I'm not going to say he's better than Mahomes, but he's right there. He's the second to best quarterback in the NFL right now. He's the guy I want 
for the next 25 years or at least the next 15 years as a winner. That's what I said. He is a winner. And the Bengals running the ball, by the way, was nonstop too. They ran the ball right down the Bills' throat. Like I said, the Bengals completely controlled the line of scrimmage in this game, which you'd think that was the biggest concern coming into the game with the whole offensive line out for the Bengals. That would be the problem. But no, they completely controlled the line of scrimmage in this game. Burrow, what he's done, the way he maneuvers in the pocket, and for me, this has been the biggest difference between Joe Burrow this year and Joe Burrow last year. Joe Burrow last year was willing to take sacks. He was okay with taking sacks. If he took a few sacks a game, he's like, it doesn't matter. He's still cool. I'll make up for it. I'll, I'll get a big pass on third down and 15. Now he's not taking the sacks. Now he's learned how to step up in the pocket and maneuver. And this was what Brady was always so good at. Is that He's not necessarily the fastest guy. And Burrow has better mobility than Brady, I think. But he steps up in the pocket and he maneuvers in the pocket to avoid the rush, to avoid the sacks, avoiding the hits. And still being able to stay in the pocket and make deep plays downfield is what I think Mahomes' best asset is. I know Mahomes, obviously, all the magic he creates outside the pocket. But Burrow inside the pocket and being able to maneuver inside the pocket is so incredible. He's now 4-0 on the road in the playoffs. It's, like I said, it's something that I never sweat for a second. The second I turned on this game and I saw that first drive, I was like, okay, I have nothing to worry about with my bet. Like, it was that easy. And to think about this Cincinnati franchise now for the next 20 years, they're going to have a guy who is just a winner. And I know he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. And a lot of people in my DMs and in my video, what I posted with me talking on my Instagram, go follow Rami Levy podcast on Instagram. But the video that I posted talking about Joe Burrow being a winner, lots of people, oh, he hasn't won anything yet. Yeah. Okay. I'll bet he'll have a bunch of Super Bowls. If not this year, he'll have a bunch of Super Bowls soon. And this guy is the winner, and he's in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is so lucky to have him. And to think a franchise like that with a dysfunctional history, a franchise like that with terrible owners and always doing the perfectly bad thing, if they can have that, anyone can have it. And another thing they did in this game, and I think it's a big difference, I talked about him maneuvering in the pocket, a big difference from last year to this year, Jamar Chase over the middle. Jamar Chase, ran, it seemed like last year he was running so many deep routes, that that's all he was running was that deep ball to Jamar Chase with Burrow and Chase. And now this year, they found a way to move him where they put him and Higgins on the same side or two wide receivers, and they run these option routes where they run two guys at the linebacker or the safety, and they have one break off, and it's really an option for Burrow. Where does he want to go? And he's reading the play so well, see where the linebacker is going to, which receiver he's going to gravitate to, which receiver the safety is going to gravitate to. And Burrow's been so good at making that quick read, and that's why he... You see the throws that he's making to Hayden Hurst and the throws he's making to Higgins, but really the entire offense, and I don't know who their offensive coordinator is or their quarterback's coach, but there have been two major changes in this offense from last year to this year that I've seen. And like I said, one is Burrow's ability to maneuver in the pocket. The other, uh, obviously, is Jamar Chase going over the middle and that opening up so much more on the offense. Like I said, those two things that you see in this offense, that is a change that they worked on clearly and that they've made this year, and it's extremely impressive. And I don't know who their offensive coordinator, their quarterback's coach, but if I'm the Jets, I'd go find that guy because they did something, they turned something around, and this offense that was already really good, it's one thing to take an offense that's bad and to find ways to make it better, but to take an offense that's already really good, has one of the best receivers and one of the best quarterbacks in the league, And to find ways to make it even better is a hard thing to find ways to make those improvements. And they found ways to make this immensely better. And uh, I think that's extremely impressive. And it was quite evident watching that game. And by the way, the football weather, I loved it. It looked great on TV. Oh, it's not going to bother them at all. We'll have the same thing next week in Kansas City. I'm so happy we don't have to get uh, the neutral site and Joe Burrow send those refunds. He was right. They're going to have to send those refunds. It's going to be in Kansas City next week for the Bengals and the Chiefs. By the way, I love watching LeBron go off in a game that the Lakers are obviously going to lose. Um, watching this game now. This is fun. There's still seven and a half minutes left, but the Lakers are down 14 against the Clippers. Keep you updated on that, although you probably know the score by now. Speaking of Kansas City, as I mentioned, they are in the AFC Championship game for the second consecutive year against the Cincinnati Bengals. And... What else is there to say about Patrick Mahomes? 
He gets hurt in this game. Still doesn't matter. Chad Henney goes right down the field and scores. But when he comes back into that game, it's like a superhero returning. And he was clearly hobbled. Clearly not 100%. And we'll talk about how that affects the game coming up on Sunday against the Bengals. But clearly Mahomes is hurt. And he comes back in. And he does whatever it takes to win. Great back to recover, obviously, by Jacksonville. But Mahomes did everything they needed him to do to win this game. Still limited, still hobbled. He's still so effective. Mahomes at 80%, which I don't know if he was even that. Maybe he was at 70%. Mahomes at that is still better than almost any quarterback in the league. And what else can you say about him? Like I said, I just came on here and gushed so much about Burrow. And I think the best thing maybe that I can say about Patrick Mahomes is that with everything I said about Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes is still number one. And that's what's so incredible about him is that he was hurt. He His best asset may be his legs and him finding different ways to continue to be effective. This is a guy who's never been an underdog in the postseason for a reason. This is a guy who's been in the AFC Championship game for five consecutive years for a reason. This is a guy who is the best quarterback in the league. And if you ever look at a guy who just talent-wise and just career trajectory-wise is going to have a chance at dethroning if that's a word Tom Brady as the goat it's going to be Patrick Mahomes and it's for obvious reason he's a special special quarterback and what he did I don't think it gets enough credit because we're so used to Mahomes being amazing now and I know people like to tweet oh if Mahomes did that the media would go insane you should be going insane a guy coming into the league and winning at the pace and rate that Patrick Mahomes is doing it's unheard of it's un we've never seen this before And Patrick Mahomes is doing this. There's not much more to say about Patrick Mahomes. And yet, he's going to go into the game for the first time in his career as an underdog. It's one thing to just wrap up your ankle and tape it up and go out there, get some shots and adrenaline in you. And all of a sudden, you're back out there and you don't even feel the pain in a playoff game. But now it's been a while. Now you take off the shoe. Remember Isaiah Hodgins, and we'll get to this game a little bit later, but Isaiah Hodgins posted after the game that they won, the Giants won against Minnesota, he posted a picture of his ankle. He said, this was my ankle pregame. But during the game, he didn't feel it at all. But once you have a week after playing on an ankle like that, you have a week and the foot starts to actually get, you actually start to feel it. That It's almost like it hurts more a few days later. You ever get hurt and it doesn't hurt that much that night, but then you wake up in the next morning or you wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, excruciating pain if you've ever broken your arm or sprained your arm and maybe you didn't realize in the moment but then in the middle of the night you might wake up and it's like oh my god the pain is excruciating I promise you once Patrick Mahomes took off his cleats and had to go into the locker room after the game I'm sure he feels worse today on Wednesday than he felt during the game on Saturday so them being two and a half point underdogs it kind of makes sense and originally I think People still thought, okay, wait, no, the Bengals are going to win. And I jumped on it. I took the Bengals at plus money. But now the Chiefs are the ones that are plus money in this game. I think either team, having either team at plus money is a win. Um, Right now, I do have a future on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl at plus 800 that I took back in October. I have a future on the Bengals to win the Super Bowl at plus 750 that I took a couple months ago. So I'm good either way as long as the AFC finds a way to win the Super Bowl. But... It's going to be difficult. And yet with all that said, it feels like Patrick Mahomes has to win this game. When was the last time we had a playoff game that it felt like Patrick Mahomes needs to win it? But if you look back, you have the Super Bowl. It's like, well, they're not going to lose to the Bucs in the Super Bowl, right? Even that whole game felt like, well, they're going to find a way to win this game. And then they can't find a way. And the Bucs just kept finding ways to win. And last year, it's like, well, they're not going to lose to Cincinnati in the postseason, right? And it wasn't like Cincinnati crushed them, but just Patrick Mahomes was ineffective in the second half after throwing a pick at the end of the first half. And then they just lost. At what point does a guy who got a 15-year contract and won a Super Bowl already three years ago, but is clearly the undeniably greatest quarterback of this generation and is the guy who everything I just said about him as a quarterback, and I still stand by every single one of those things, 
at what point does there become pressure on that guy to make it back to the Super Bowl? Are we at the point yet that there's now pressure on Patrick Mahomes? He's never beaten Joe Burrow in a playoff game. And in a game period in his career, he's 0-3, including 0-1 in the playoffs. It's in your building, you're at home, and I know you're hurt, but if you're going to play, if you're good enough to play, it seems like this is the most pressure we've had on Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game in his entire career. And I don't think that's hyperbole to say that. I think this is more pressure that Patrick Mahomes has ever faced because he is expected to win these games every time, but he needs to get back to a Super Bowl, in my opinion. And with everything we just said about Joe Burrow being the winner, you're going to have to face Joe Burrow. You're going to have to keep facing Deshaun Watson. Maybe Lamar Jackson sticks around. There's still going to be Josh Allen. There's still going to be Justin Herbert. And now Trevor Lawrence coming on. If you're Patrick Mahomes, you need to find a way to win this game one way or another. I truly believe that. I truly believe that there is pressure on Patrick Mahomes in this game. All right, let's go to the other side. The earlier game, that was the earlier game on Saturday. The later game on Saturday was Philadelphia and the Giants. And all we talked about all week was the Giants. And Philly took that personally. They took offense to it, and they came out, and they were dominant. It was not even a game at any point. It was immediate. And it was a total butt-whooping from the word go. And remember what we talked about last episode when we were predicting the games and I thought that the lines were too much of an overreaction to the previous week? Well, apparently we didn't learn that enough. Don't overreact to the previous week because the Giants looked incredible. But are the Giants really that good? They beat a Minnesota team that all year everyone yelled and screamed about that they're not that good. And Philadelphia looked absolutely incredible this week against the Giants. And I don't know if that's legitimate or not. Maybe it's not. Maybe Philadelphia is not as good as they played. But which one is it? I don't know. This is a team that had the MVP favorite for the majority of the season. This is a team that was by far the best team in the league for the majority of the season. And now all of a sudden, we're going to tell you that this team is not that team. This team's not that good. And they were at home in a playoff game. They're the number one seed for a reason. And in the first playoff game against a team in their division who they've already beaten twice this year, they crushed them. And now the Giants, you look at it the other side, and I don't want to discount what the Giants did in the first week of the playoffs or what they did all year. They were not supposed to be a good team. They were supposed to be a bad team riding out a string with a bad quarterback. So don't get me wrong. I All the respect in the world to Brian Dable, to Daniel Jones, to Saquon Barkley, and this Giants team. But at the same time, this is a Giants team that ended the season 3-6-1 and one, and the three wins a win on a Sunday night in Washington with help from the refs, and Washington was terrible in that game. I was there. A win against Indianapolis, who might be the worst team in the league, and I, a fake head coach in Jeff Saturday. And a playoff win, yeah, respectful, a playoff win on the road in a tough environment, but against a team that everyone thought was frauds and the terrible Minnesota Vikings defense. And then you got blown out. You got your doors blown off on the road in a playoff game that it looked like you were not prepared, both mentally and physically, and it looked like halfway through you gave up. And I'm not only talking about the coaching, I'm talking about the players, but it started from the very beginning of the game. And look, I've said this 10,000 times on this podcast. When we look back at this giant season, you're going to say this was an incredible success. But expectations change. You probably knew I was going to say that expectations change. When you start the season the way you started and you look that good and you had the wins that you had, no matter what, what was the one thing we said? I said the fallback that even if the Giants lose in this game, they're not going to be non-competitive. That's the only thing I said. I said this defense, this run game, this head coach, they're not going to be non-competitive. But it started from the word go. They were non-competitive in this game. And so with Everything that happened, it just leaves such a bad taste in your mouth. Remember the Yankee season? The Yankee season, going into the season, I was upset at the Yankees. I didn't think they did enough in the offseason to get better. And then the Yankee season starts, and they had the incredible stretch that they had at the beginning of the year with Aaron Judge hitting the home run record and all the wins that they had early in the season. Just some incredible games. 
And then kind of at the all-star break, things started to shift a little bit. But then towards the end of the year, they get hot again and they go into the playoffs and you're feeling good. And it feels like everything that happened in the Yankee season was all for naught and it was an entire epic failure. And coming out of the season, all of a sudden you had the same feelings that you had the previous offseason because you got swept and got humiliated by your biggest rival of the last decade, the Houston Astros. That's the same thing. It's almost the exact same thing that happened in the Giants season that happened in the Yankee season. The hot start, the surprising start even. It's so much fun. And I know there were more expectations going into the year for the Yankees than there were for the Giants. But still, it was surprising how good the Yankees were earlier in the year. And yes, it was surprising how good the Giants were early in the season. But you get that hot start. And then all of a sudden, you're feeling good about yourself. You start to dwindle a little bit. But then you have a couple big wins late in the season. You go into the playoffs feeling good, and you even win a playoff round. But then all of that good feeling, all that good juju that you built up, it goes right out the window with a horrendous, horrific loss to maybe your worst rival of the last decade. The Giants still can't win at the link, and you still have so many questions now. Is Saquon Barkley gone? He was 90% of your offense. Is Daniel Jones really the answer? He looked good down the stretch, but this is a guy who led the offense that only put up 30 points twice all year. Once against the terrible Minnesota defense and once against Indianapolis. And Dable, some of the things he did are just head scratchers in this game. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would you defer the ball to the second half? Why would you give the ball to the other team first? If down 7-0, you're already playing desperate. And from the 40-yard line, you're going for it on 4th and 8. Now, I agree to go for it on 4th and 8 because what are you going to do? Just put them 20 yards, just kick a 20-yard punt? I agreed with the call. But if you were so scared you needed to steal that every single possession, then you should have taken the ball first and tried to score on your first possession. Right away, there was a feeling that they were playing scared. I know they said, I said at least, that they can go down 7-0 in this game. They marched. I was sitting with a bunch of Giant fans watching the game, and I said, ah, Minnesota did the same thing. They marched right down the field and scored on their first possession. But when Jalen Hurts ran into the end zone, it was like, oh, my God, this is over. And it got over and ugly so quickly. And to go from a team that I had a bet for them to win the NFC, I placed that last week. That's how confident I was in this Giants team to what happened on Sunday or Saturday night, I should say, is uh, just an awful turnaround. And such a quick turnaround. And the late game punt by Dable, I said the team gave up. You can't have that. What are you? What's the message you're sending to your team? That you're punting in that position. You're basically conceding the game and saying the game is over. And they, they panicked. They got away from the run so early. They stopped running the ball. And I know when you're down so big, but if that's, like I said, that was 90% of your offense with Saquon Barkley... Keep handing the ball off to him. Don't go away from that. I don't know. There was so much. And I don't know how much of this is Philly's just really that good. And how much of this is the Giants. Like, I don't want to repeat last week. I don't want to overreact to what we saw. Because what we saw in Philly was pure dominance. And then you go to Sunday night. And you go to Dallas and San Francisco And for the second consecutive week, it's like, well, Brock Purdy is human. And Brock Purdy is a rookie quarterback who's a seventh-round pick. And I saw a funny thing with Kyle Shanahan when I was cutting up the highlights after the game for Fox. I get the full raw footage. And there was footage of Kyle Shanahan throwing the route tree to the receivers before the game. All the receivers are lined up in pregame warm-ups running the route tree. And Kyle Shanahan's throwing the ball to them. I was kind of like, yeah, he could probably play quarterback for them and this offense would be fine. We keep saying this. This offense is not reliant on Brock Purdy. But at the same time, against the good Dallas defense, they only put up 19 points. And they kept Dallas in this game time and time again. If I'm running a job interview for Kellen Moore, because Kellen Moore is getting a lot of interviews, the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, I just play one play for him and I say, answer this question. If you give me a good answer to this question then you're hired. Then you got the job. This is the only question I have for you. And the play would be the last play of the game that Dallas ran with Zeke Elliott as the only offensive lineman snapping the ball 
against San Francisco. And the question would be, what the hell were you thinking? And if he can give you a good answer on that, then you hire him. Because this was a guy who was so good and has proven to be, he was the difference in this offense all year. And in this game, their offense looked broken. They put up 12 points. And I blame Dak Prescott. Because Dak Prescott, not only did he throw two crucial picks, but he had more picks that he should have thrown. And that one play, that Dan Orlovsky, I posted this on my Twitter, on my Instagram, I should say, on my Instagram story, my personal Instagram. There was one play that Dan Orlovsky broke down that showed you just how bad Dak Prescott Scott was in this game. He had a wide-open T.Y. Hilton, and he just never looked. Dak Prescott is extremely talented. There's no denying that. But throughout the season, when I talked about the Dallas Cowboys and I quote-unquote disrespected the Dallas Cowboys, the reason was, the main reason was, that I just never believed in Dak Prescott. And I continue to not believe in Dak Prescott. He's got all the talent in the world. But this guy just doesn't have it as an NFL quarterback. And even the Dallas, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys Twitter account, their personal Twitter account, this was crazy to me. The tweet that they put out, which was something like, Dak Prescott falters as the Cowboys lose. And I was like, they're coming straight out and they're bashing their own quarterback? It seemed weird. It seemed odd for a team to do that. I've never seen that before, that the actual official team Twitter account says, Dak Prescott gave the ball away twice in the narrow loss to the 49ers in a matchup the Cowboys had a chance to win in if they didn't, again, generate self-inflicted wounds. That is from the official Cowboys Twitter account. And if I was a Cowboys fan, I'd be like, oh, thank you. You're being honest. But it's just so frustrating because... That's exactly what it was. You were right in this game. The San Francisco 49ers did everything they could to keep the Dallas Cowboys in this game. And the Cowboys couldn't find a way to to win it. And that keeps happening. Quick sidebar because I just watched this. Okay, the game just ended. The Lakers lose, obviously. But LeBron James is walking off the court and is in the locker room with 30 seconds left in the game. I don't understand how he can hold himself to a higher standard than anyone else in the league, but he doesn't have to do the exact same things that he he expects of everyone else. So congratulations, you're the 13th seed. He keeps scoring points. He keeps being the story in every one of these games. But he doesn't have to, like with the whole Shannon Sharp thing, where I want to buy tickets courtside and chirp at LeBron and see how quickly he'd kick me out of an arena. But Shannon Sharp's allowed to do it to John Moran. Sure, because LeBron's friends with him. It is the double standard with LeBron and its constants about everything just drives me insane. And that one, just him walking off the court, like if somebody else did that, him walking off the court with 30 seconds left in the, to go in the game, it's it's infuriating. Okay, I'm not even going to talk about it because you know how I feel. Just such a hypocrite. But congrats, Clippers get the win. Anyway, like I said, Dallas and... I don't believe when I watch any of these videos, still talking about Dallas, (laughs) when you watch any of these videos um, of the Dallas Cowboy fans punching the TVs and breaking their TVs and being this angry, first of all, like the last play of the game wasn't when you lost this game. You lost this game like 10,000 times because you had so many opportunities in this game and every time it felt like Dak Prescott came up short. And that was the frustrating part. But I always think that those videos are manufactured. I don't believe any of those videos are legit. Uh, But that might just be me. Um, and now the same thing that we talked about with the bills, where do you go to from here with the giants and with the Dallas Cowboys? Because we had eight teams in this NFL divisional round of the playoffs, eight quarterbacks, all under 30 years old. I think it's the first time that it's happened in like since the eighties or something like that. We had Trevor Lawrence. And they lose, but it's like, okay, we know where they're going. They're headed in the right direction. Think about where they came from last year, and you lose to the Chiefs in in Arrowhead. Like, can't blame them for that. They're headed in the right direction. You have the Chiefs, obviously, who win and go back to their fifth consecutive AFC championship game. You have the Bengals, who are on the top of the football world. And I don't want to overreact. (laughs) That's the big theme of this podcast. Don't overreact to what we saw last week. Um, You have the Bills, who have some question marks. Because obviously, 
this is again another time that they can't even make it to the AFC Championship game. And I know it's you're losing to good teams. Last year it's the Chiefs. This year it's the Bills, or this year it's the Bengals, I should say. But not even making it to the AFC Championship game at some point, you have to hold them to a higher standard, right? So where do you go from here? But still, they have the young quarterback who's really good. We know that. On the other side, you have San Francisco, and we'll get to them in a second because I have a whole interesting take on that. But you have the Philadelphia Eagles who look like they're the best team in football, and they have a young quarterback at the helm who's probably going to be good for them for a really, really long time. You have the Giants. There are question marks for them, and you have question marks for Dallas because Dallas, you have Mike McCarthy. You have Dak Prescott. But are you ever going to get over the hump with those two guys, or are you always going to be right there and come up short? So do you move off those guys because you can't get over the hump with them? Like, what do you do if you are the Dallas Cowboys? And the Giants are in the same category. You have Daniel Jones, and he was really good for a lot of the season. I think he's earned for sure a fifth year and probably an extension beyond that. But is he the guy who's going to win you a Super Bowl? Is Dak Prescott going to win you a Super Bowl? This team is as good of a team in the NFL as there was this Dallas Cowboy team. I truly believe that. Now, their wide receiver core outside of C.D. Lamb, yes, not great. Losing Amari Cooper was not great. But still, before Tony Pollard went down, this team was a really, really good team. And I don't know. I just think that you're never going to get over the hump with Dak Prescott. So what do they do from here? I don't know. And it's going to be interesting what Jerry Jones decides to do. And for the 49ers, I told you it's interesting to me. We get here. There are four teams left. The final four. And we've seen this the last bunch of years with the 49ers. They make it to the Super Bowl. They make it to the AFC Championship game. Or NFC, rather, Championship game a couple times. They get deep in the playoffs. There's all the talent. There's the skill position players. The running backs. The defense. But at the end of the day, when you look around, you know the meme with all the monsters, whatever they are, and then there's one monster who looks like a goofball. Look at the four quarterbacks remaining. Jalen Hurts is one of the best young quarterbacks in the game. Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow are one and two for the best two quarterbacks in the game today. And the odd man out is Brock Purdy. I'm not saying that Brock Purdy can't turn into that guy because Brock Purdy, in my opinion, hasn't shown us enough to make a decision on him either way. But what he did show us the last couple of games in the playoffs is he's not great. Maybe he can become a really good, capable quarterback, but with all the weapons he has, he's not great. And again, you're in that situation where, yes, he's enough to get you there with the right scheme, with the right defense, with the right skill position players. But is he getting you over the hump? At the end of the day in the NFL, there's a guy who's a quarterback who's carried by the team, and there's the quarterback who carries the team. And it doesn't seem like the quarterback who's carried by the team is ever going to win. And even though... They made it to the Super Bowl, and they had a lead in the Super Bowl with Jimmy G. They still just couldn't get over the hump. You get to play against, last year, the Rams in the playoffs, you can't get over the hump. I don't know. To me, it just feels like, and maybe it all changes this weekend, and Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers go to the Super Bowl. But rookie quarterbacks, they're 0-4 in conference championship games. Is that going to change? I don't know. It's hard to say. So what did we learn from this week going into next week? Does this mean that Philadelphia at home is going to blow out the 49ers? No, I think the 49ers defense is way better than the Giants defense. I think they have way more weapons on offense than the Giants. So don't overreact. I think it's going to be a close game. But if you ask me today, I like Philly a hell of a lot more than I like the 49ers. And if we saw Patrick Mahomes, limited Patrick Mahomes, we saw him in the second half, like I said, it was enough to beat Jacksonville. And we were obsessed with what we saw from Cincinnati. Does that mean that Cincinnati is going to blow out the Chiefs and Joe Burrow will improve to 4-0 and against Patrick Mahomes in his career and 5-0 and on the road in playoff games and go back to the Super Bowl for the second straight year? I'm not willing to say that yet, but I have a couple days to make a decision. And then I'll be back here with my picks on Friday and I'll tell you all about it. Until then, there's a lot else going on, but one more thing that I want to talk about on this episode, and then we'll leave the rest for Friday as we preview all the games. I already watched the All-22 of Cincinnati and the Chiefs from earlier this season, so I'll do some film breakdown with that, uh, talk about what I saw in that game, and if we can see some more trends uh, from that game here 
in the AFC Championship game and one of the most anticipated AFC Championship game games. I hope Mahomes is at 100%. I hope he's fully healthy because it's going to be one of the most fun championship games if he is. If he's not, it will be somewhat disappointing. Um, but other news, Aaron Rodgers has been uh, trending this week. He's a big topic of conversation. Joe Namath mentioned on WFAN that he'd give his number his number 12, which is retired by the Jets to Aaron Rodgers if he came. Bill Simmons predicted on his podcast that Aaron Rodgers would be a Jet following in the footsteps of Brett Favre. My father, who talked on this podcast about, oh, he wouldn't want to follow in the footsteps of Brett Favre. The one thing that my father failed to take into consideration is Aaron Rodgers is so arrogant that he'd say, yeah, I'll follow in the footsteps of Brett Favre, but I'll do it better. Just like I did it better in Green Bay, I'll go to New York and I'll actually win. And that's why I'm willing to take that chance. Maybe that's his his mind. Now, it's picking up steam. There's a lot on Twitter. There's a lot of reports coming out saying that it could happen um, and what the Packers would want and all that different thing. And obviously, Woody Johnson would be willing to give up what the Packers want. Now, there is something, too, that it might not be able to get done unless they restructure the contract. It might not be able to get done before June. So it's a possibility, and Rodgers already said on McAfee that he'd be willing to restructure his contract. But if they don't restructure the trade cannot go through until June. And so there's a couple of things that I thought of. If you're Jets Twitter, if you're a Jets fan, and if you're Woody Johnson, and Derek Carr goes off the board, and Tom Brady goes off the board, and Lamar Jackson goes off the board, whether he stays in Baltimore or goes elsewhere, and all these names are dropping like flies, and you still don't have your guy, you think Woody Johnson is going to be able to sit through that till June to wait to get Aaron Rodgers? You think Jets Twitter is not going to riot before June? And they wait to get Aaron Rodgers. The other side of this is can the Jets and the Packers agree in principle to a trade that also allows the Jets to give the Packers a draft pick in this year's draft? Because I'm sure the Packers would want that, not wait till the Jets are good with Rodgers and then take those draft picks. They'll be worse picks. Is there a way for the Jets to agree in principle to a trade um, and get a Rodgers deal done before then so that they don't have to worry about waiting till June? And they can also uh, give away a draft pick from this year's draft. All that, uh, by the way, if it doesn't happen until June, it'll be typical Rodgers. Because if there's anyone who wants to hear this conversation, I'm already sick of it. But it's going to be six months of hearing about Aaron Rodgers if this doesn't happen until June. And I'm sure it's exactly how he likes it. He wants the attention. This is exactly what he wanted. Um, Tom Brady's already effing sick of effing talking about it. He'll make an effing decision. He said that on his own podcast. And those words exactly. Um, about what his decision is if he's going to come back or retire for next year. I still believe he'll end up in Miami. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Those stories, just a little preview, a little sneak peek of what we're going to be talking about for six months in the offseason. Might not be talking baseball. We'll get to that also at a later date. All that and a whole lot more coming up later and Friday we have picks. We have a whole lot coming up on Friday's episode, so you're not going to want to miss it. I was 3-1 and one last week, and if you followed me and you rode with me on the Bengals and you put them in every single bet you had, you made a lot of money, like me, because the Bengals, it was dominance. You didn't even have to sweat it. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't have a feel about the picks yet, but Friday I will have a feel, and once I have that feel, I'm usually right. I have been. I've been good in these playoffs so far. So until then, please like, subscribe, share it, rate, review, and tell everyone about this podcast. Tell them it's the best podcast you ever heard because it's awesome and it helps me. Go to betterhelp.com if you need to take care of your mentals, which is important. Take care of your mental health. Uh, It's really important to talk to someone and go to Co36, a great sponsor of mine also if you're looking for some swaggy clothes. And like I always say, support me, support the podcast, support my sponsors. I really appreciate all that. And until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and road graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know
Wanna drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city